Welcome back to the Lydia Magritte channel. I am going to give you today a new undesigned coincidence. Hasn't made it into any of my published work. If you follow me on Facebook, you may have seen it on there because I discussed it on there a few weeks ago. This is connecting uh, Acts and the Pauline letters. I came upon this and put various pieces together, partly because of something I read several years ago, but uh, also because I was writing an article recently, drafting an article that's going to be used in an anthology. Um, J.R.R. Tolkien once said that to be concise was for him an art form, and I know what he meant. I had a certain word limit for this article, and I knew that if I kept thinking about the word limit the whole time, I wouldn't be able to write. So I just went ahead and wrote as well as I could and then looked at my word count, and I was way over the limit. So certain sections had to end up, as they say, on the cutting room floor. I saved them, of course, uh, and may publish them later in some other context, but one of them was a, a longer section than any I have written elsewhere on the personality of the Apostle Paul and the unity of the personality of Paul between Acts and the Epistles. Uh, Eric of Testify has a great video out about this, which is partly based on just a couple of pages in my book, Hidden in Plain View. This, what I wrote, was a longer section, but uh, it was about 2,000 words long, so it, it came out quite neatly and cleanly from the rest of the article, but I'll have to find somewhere else to publish it. In the course of doing that, I came across this idea. So this coincidence, I'm going to start by reading some verses in Acts 20. Uh, Acts 20, beginning in the middle of verse 3 and going through verse 5. If you remember from an earlier uh, video I did where I said something like, it was called something like, how wrong can Bart Ehrman be about acts? I gave this series of uh, wonderful little incidental connections between Acts 19 and 20 and the epistles. And this fits into that same category too. I, I literally couldn't include everything in that previous video. So I'm going to start in the middle of Acts 20 verse 3. When a plot was formed against him by the Jews as he was about to set sail for Syria, he determined to return through Macedonia. And he was accompanied by Sopater of Berea, the son of Pyrrhus, and by Aristarchus and Secundus of the Thessalonians, and Gaius of Derbe, and Timothy, and Tychicus and Trophimus of Asia. But these had gone on ahead and were waiting for us at Troas. In verse 5, you notice that use of the word us. So this is coming uh, into the beginning of one of the we passages, as they're called, in the book of Acts, where the author indicates more explicitly that he was actually traveling with Paul. I tend not to think that those were the only places where he was traveling with Paul. Um, for one thing, back in chapter 19, we found that he had really detailed knowledge even of Paul's intentions. So for example, that he was planning to go to um, 
Jerusalem, it says in 1921, and so here when it talks about uh, that he was about to set sail for Syria, that refers to his sailing over there to travel to Jerusalem. So if the author knew even his plans, that would seem to indicate plausibly that he was actually with him in chapter 19 as well in Ephesus. Um, not that he just joined him here in Greece. Um, and that's where he is, by the way, Acts 20, verse 2. It says he came to Greece. And there he spent three months. This, by the way, probably is the winter that he mentioned over in 1 Corinthians that he was hoping to spend with them. You, you generally didn't sail in the winter. Um, so that's where he is at this time. So what we notice is that here in Greece, when he's about to travel to Syria and he wants to sail, there's a, a plot against him, so he decides to go a different way. We don't know the details of the plot or why the different route would have helped, but he decides to go the, that reverse course and go back by that long overland route through Macedonia, across uh, and over to Asia Minor, uh, by Troas and then down uh, through along the coast of Asia Minor, etc. So it is a, it is a longer route. Um, but then it lists his companions. Now, the first question I want to ask is why are so many companions listed here? If you read the entire book of Acts, you'll find that this is the largest group that is ever explicitly described as traveling with the Apostle Paul. Now, I want to be careful how I say this. He may have had a group this large traveling with him on other occasions, and it just wasn't listed or it was just not mentioned. But if we just go by what's listed, what's mentioned, uh, this is the largest group ever listed as traveling with Paul. Moreover, it, it lists many of them. It may not be an exhaustive group. In fact, I suspect it's not an exhaustive group. I think there was at least one other person, uh, namely Erastus of Corinth, who was with Paul. I may not get a chance to give my reason for thinking that in this video, but um, even if it's not an exhaustive group, it's the biggest group ever listed. Why? Why is such a big group traveling with Paul? And why is the author taking so much trouble to, to list names? Secondly, why are the locations emphasized? Now, sometimes in ancient writings, you'll see the locations of people, um, that the places that they're from are listed because there are many people by that name. And so you want to make it clear, you know, which person you're talking about. But in this case, it's just really striking that person after person is given his location. Um, Aristarchus, Aristarchus and Secundus, it says, of the Thessalonians, not just of Thessalonica, but of the Thessalonians. Um, and Gaius, specifically of Derby. Um, interestingly, if it's the same Gaius back in 19... 29, it refers to him as Paul's traveling companion from Macedonia. Um, but here, it seems to be indicating that he was originally from Derby, if it's the same one. 
Okay, so, and Asia's a pretty big region, Asia Minor, but Tychicus and Trophimus of Asia. So it seems to be important to, uh, to list where they're from. Also, Timothy is grouped with Gaius, okay? Or plausibly, he is Gaius of Derby and Timothy. And I think that that is because, as we learned back in uh, 16, verse 1, uh, Timothy is from that same region, the region of Lystra and Derby. So when he, he lists Timothy, the author lists him in his proper place, so he's close to someone else who was from Derby. Um, and Luke has not emphasized Timothy's location in between chapter 16 and chapter 20, but here he seems to remember where he was from. So why that emphasis too? So why the size? Why the emphasis on location, including in the case of Timothy? All right. Well, that's not explained in, in the book of Acts. Now, if you go back to that other video, and I'll try to remember to put the link to it uh, and to the audio for those of you who are listening by audio into the, the description notes here, um, you'll remember that we talked about the collection that Paul was taking up at this time. He was taking up a money collection for the people of Jerusalem. Um, and there's very little allusion to this in Acts later when he's speaking before one of the rulers. He says, I came bringing alms to my nation, just a passing reference. But in these chapters where it was very much on his mind and, and he's collecting and he's taking up the collection, Luke never mentions it. But it was uh, a big deal to him. And we find that in First and Second Corinthians and Romans. Now, I believe that that helps to explain the answers to these questions. So I want to go first to Romans chapter 15, verse 25. But now I am going to Jerusalem, serving the saints, for Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. Yes, they were pleased to do so. And they are indebted to them, for if the Gentiles have shared in their spiritual things, they are indebted to minister to them also in material things. Now, what is Paul saying? There's a lot of they and there. Well, he's emphasizing the fact that the churches of Macedonia and Achaia were probably majority Gentile, or at least had a very significant Gentile membership. Uh, I think there were Jews in those churches also. In fact, I think it's clear that there were. Achaia, by the way, is Greece. Um, but that there were a lot of Gentiles in those churches. And then he's thinking of the church at Jerusalem as being more of a Jewish church and, and having a larger number of Jewish members. And so to him, this contribution, this collection is symbolic not only is it going to be helpful to the poor in Jerusalem, the poor Christians in Jerusalem, but it symbolizes the fact that the Gentile believers are grateful to the Jewish mother church in Jerusalem. And it symbolizes the unity of Jews and Gentiles. So one of the reasons that I think it was in Paul's mind and therefore 
was probably emphasized to Luke, and Luke puts it down in Acts 20, where these people were from, is that Paul considers it to be symbolic, that they are from Macedonia and Achaia, and by the way, also Asia Minor, though he doesn't mention that here, from these places where Paul had spread the gospel among the Gentiles, and, and these representatives of these churches then were going with him as part of that, I believe, that symbolism of the love and gratitude that the Gentile churches had towards the Jewish mother church. Um, now, this idea that I just gave you about the, uh, the, the symbolism and the, the idea that these are from the various churches that are contributing was something I picked up several years ago from a blog post that I cannot now find. I did not write it down. So if you are the person who wrote that blog post several years ago and you recognize this, um, feel free to draw your name to my attention and I will give you credit in the show notes if I recognize your post. Um, but that, that was that one idea that these people in Acts 20 represent the various churches that were contributing and were representatives. And that fits with especially when it says Aristarchus, Aristarchus and Secundus of the Thessalonians. So they're the Thessalonians representative. But with all of these, um, they're coming from the different places that were contributing. Okay, so there's that symbolic meaning. But then there were other practical reasons. And this is how the character of Paul got drawn in and how I came to um, think about this when I was thinking of the, the character of Paul. All right, I want to go over to 1 Corinthians 16. Now, uh, 1 Corinthians was written prior to Romans. So I read the Romans first, first but... Uh, chronologically, 1 Corinthians is earlier, uh, and as I've argued, it was written at the time period represented by Acts 19, verses 21 and 22, when Paul was in Ephesus. Okay, so he says, now concerning the collection for the saints, this is 1 Corinthians 16, 1, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so do you also. On the first day of every week, let each one of you put aside and save as he may prosper, that no collection may be made when I come. In other words, have it ready. And when I arrive, whomever you may approve, I shall send them with letters to carry your gift to Jerusalem. And if it is fitting for me to go also, they will go with me. Okay, so at the time when he wrote 1 Corinthians, it's very interesting that it wasn't absolutely decided that he was to be the primary person delivering the Corinthians' contribution. He, he suggests even that the Corinthians might prefer to send their contribution with someone else whom they would approve and for whom Paul would write a letter of introduction. And then he says, if it is fitting for me to go also, they will go with me. Now, by the time he wrote Romans, you can tell that it had been decided. He's, he's, already, he's in Corinth by that time, and he's talked to people, and it's been decided that he is going to go with the delivery of the, of, of the uh, offering for the saints in Jerusalem. In fact, I think he probably would have been pretty hurt if they had decided 
to send someone else. But he raises the suggestion that maybe, maybe he shouldn't even accompany the Corinthians offering. Maybe someone else should accompany it, and only if it is appropriate or fitting that they would travel together. Why is Paul being so delicate here about whether he travels with the Corinthians offering or not? Well, one thing that we notice again and again, and I think is relevant here, particularly in the the letters to the Corinthians, is that Paul is touchy about money. We don't know exactly what the background of this was. It really kind of looks like somebody might have suggested that Paul, uh, when he took up collections, that Paul was out to get money for himself. He is so emphatic. He devotes passages to it in 1 Corinthians and in 2 Corinthians, you know, like lengthy passages where he's he's boasting, he himself uses the word boasting, that he was not a burden to the Corinthians, that when he was in Corinth, he didn't take any money from them for his own needs. He worked with his own hands. And that's the center of a couple of other undesigned coincidences that I'm not going to go into now. But um, that when he was in need, a free will offering came down to him from Macedonia with the, the brethren who came from Macedonia, but he didn't ask he didn't ask the Corinthians for money. I didn't ask you guys for any money, so I'm not in it for the money. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. It's a big deal to him. And it comes up a little bit in his speech to the elders at Ephesus also in um in Acts where he says, you know, I, I worked with my own hands um to show that it is better to give than to receive, which is a saying he attributes to Jesus. Uh, he may have had that from an oral oral tradition of some kind because we don't find it in the Gospels. Anyway, that was a big deal to Paul. I am not asking you for money for myself. People want to contribute to me. They do it spontaneously and voluntarily, but I'm not begging for money for myself. Well, this could be seen as being in some tension with the fact that he is asking for money for Jerusalem right? I mean, it's right here. Let each of you put aside and save, etc. As he may prosper, that no collections be made concerning the collection for the saints and so forth. So he is fundraising. And actually, he's a little pushy in his fundraising techniques. Uh, in Second Corinthians, I won't go into that. I talked about it a bit in the earlier video. So Paul could be a really pushy fundraiser. And yet, He's touchy about the idea that he's out for money. Well, that is consistent because he's fundraising for somebody else. He's not fundraising for himself. He's fundraising for the collection for the saints at Jerusalem, not for himself. But this, I believe, is what leads him to say, maybe I will be the one to deliver your um, collection to Jerusalem, but maybe you'd rather send somebody else and maybe you won't think that it's fitting for me to go with them. Um, and that particularly in Corinth, I'm going to guess maybe there had been some aspersion cast upon his honesty that he was out for money. Um, hence the big emphasis in the two letters to the Corinthians and hence this delicacy. Now, how does that fit with the list in Acts 20? Both the size of the group and the location emphasis if these are representatives of the churches who are contributing to the collection, then 
they would be able to attest to the amount of offering that was sent from their region. They would be, as it were, accountability partners to show that Paul is completely open and above board. This is how much came from my region. This is how much came from my church or my region of churches. This is how much we had when we got started and they could all attack. Maybe he, you know, this is conjecture, but maybe he had them all see the total as well. You know, somebody did did his addition, you know, and came up with the total. This is the total amount. It's in these bags. And when we get to Jerusalem, you're going to check the total and see that it's all still there. Paul didn't skim off any off the top for his traveling expenses, that these guys were witnesses, as it were, to his financial um, purity. Okay. This is part of why I think Erastus was probably with them as well, um, because there's a mention in Romans in the greetings that Erastus is the the city treasurer and in one of the um, pastoral epistles I believe it says Erastus stayed at Corinth so Romans was written from Corinth at right right at this time represented by Acts 20 uh, verses 3 through 4 and he, so he's writing to Romans from Corinth and so I think uh, Erastus was probably the representative from Corinth which is why I think he was there and went with him in addition. But the point I'm making here about the undesigned coincidence is that both the number and the locations fit with the collection, both symbolically, because they represent the gratitude of these different churches toward Jerusalem, and practically because they can oversee the uh, amount of the funds and show that Paul was being honest and that he wasn't taking any of the money for himself. And there's a lot of them to do that. And then one final uh, practical reason is just for safety. If you're traveling in those regions, it was not a very safe time. It's not like you could dial 911 if you saw some suspicious um, people who were following you or something and you thought they might be highway robbers. You needed to be able to defend yourselves. And larger groups were less likely to to be set upon. Um, and at the beginning here, um, Luke is apparently with Paul. And the ones who are listed have gone ahead to Troas. So for the first part, um, Paul is with a smaller group. But we don't know how much smaller. But then uh, from Troas onward, he's with a larger group. And so I think that that would also tend to help better to keep the, you know, to keep the money safe. In fact, it's even possible that this, this larger group, so Pater of Berea, Aristarchus, Secundus, Gaius, Timothy, Tychicus, and Trophimus, they may have taken the money with them. And Paul may have followed with the smaller group and met up at Troas. That is conjecture, but... Um, the idea that a group carrying a large amount of money would be safer if it's a larger group just seems like common sense. So then in three different ways, um, symbolism, showing Paul's honesty about money and safety, this list of the group here in Acts 20, uh, verse 4, verses 4 and 5, fits with the collection, even though uh, 
there's no mention here of the collection and you know no connection made the author of act certainly does not seem to be trying to connect this himself with the collection but it connects naturally with the collection which is how undesigned coincidences work so next time i hope to be talking about uh, a different uh, new undesigned coincidence that hasn't appeared in my published work yet though it is in the forthcoming book testimonies to the truth concerning the gospels and the region known as perea and um herod antipas so that's just a little introduction and i i hope you're all having a good beginning of winter we are beginning to have very wintry weather here in michigan hence the cardinal and the snowflakes on on my warm fuzzy shirt so I want to invite all of you, please like and subscribe to this YouTube channel if you're watching on YouTube. If you're listening on Anchor FM, um, tell other people, let people know that we have this content. And thanks again to Eric Manning for helping me to uh, transport the content from video to audio because I think that's reaching a wider audience. Come back next time to the Lydia Migger channel where we're making common sense rigorous.